morning. Good. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Um, the reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one who boasts, pardon me, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I should turn on the mic so that everybody at home can hear me too. How about that? Sorry about that. So yes, so Paul sings, we aren't the champions, my friend. Paul sings, we are the losers because we aren't the champions. In fact, we are the fools of the world. And I'm going to take this off again because it will distract me if I keep doing it. I always think that there's like a little dog running around with bells or something as I hear that. We remember that Paul is continuing the argument that he began last week. Last week he started here in chapter 1 in verses 17 through 25. And he read that, we read that through the eyes of the world, the gospel is losing. Through the eyes of the world, the gospel is for the losers. We, we noted that the Greek word that's translated repeatedly throughout this passage as foolish or folly is the Greek word moros, where we get our word moron. 
really the English translation actually kind of softens it a little bit for us. Because basically it's saying that the world sees the gospel of Jesus Christ as moronic and those who would follow it as morons. We aren't the champions in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of the world, we are the losers. We are the morons. We are the foolish because we follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Star Wars, A New Hope, the sage Obi-Wan Kenobi asks, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? The fool or the fool who follows him? Friends, if in the wisdom of the world the gospel is foolish, then who's more foolish but the ones who follow that, who follow a foolish, crucified Savior? We are the fools. We aren't the champions. And today, Paul turns his attention from the gospel itself, which is what he talked about last week, to those of us that follow the gospel. Us, the church, the fellowship of fools that follow the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. And Paul begins by noting that while in the eyes of the world, we, might, we, we are not a very impressive bunch. He notes that we are not, from any objective observation, an impressive bunch. He, he says to those in Corinth, he goes, think about who you were. Consider who you were when you were called. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I hated gym class. I hated gym class, but I especially hated it when we were choosing teams in gym class. And because some of you share my anxiety, and you, because you know the anxiety-provoking experience when there are two captains up front, and, and the rest of the class is like arrayed in front of them, and then they're choosing teams. Because who gets chosen first? It's the wise, it's the powerful, it's the noble, it's the fastest, the strongest, the most popular. They always get chosen first. I never seemed to be one of those people. Now, I know that's a surprise to you seeing the hulking Adonis of a man I've become. Why are you laughing? But to say that I was lacking athletic ability in elementary school, you know, it usually came down to there were just two of us left, and it was me and the kid who broke his leg and was still on crutches. You know, and I watched the captain thinking really hard before he finally picked me. But the fact is, a good captain always chooses the champion. A good captain picks the best for his team. He wants the best and the brightest, the fast, the wise, the powerful, the noble, the skilled, the popular. In the wisdom of the world, the way you build a, build a winning team is by choosing the champion. But Paul says that's not what Jesus did. He's building a team. He didn't choose the champions in the eyes of the world. Again, verse 26, not many of you were wise or powerful or of noble birth. Wise, powerful, of noble birth. God doesn't choose the alpha dog. He chooses the underdog. He doesn't choose the role model. He chooses the reject. He doesn't choose the overcomer. He chooses the overlooked. This world has no time for losers. But those are the very people that Jesus chose to be on his team. In fact, friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is that God has time for losers. And in fact, he chooses them to be on his team. As foolish and unimpressive as his church might be in the eyes of the world, friends, the church is God's chosen instrument to reach the world with the gospel. 
You are His chosen instrument to reach the world with the Gospel. You know, there's a completely apocryphal story that makes this point. It's imagined that when Jesus ascended to heaven, you know, after completing His mission on earth, His death, His resurrection, He ascends to heaven, and the angels gather around Him and they say, did you complete your task? And Jesus says, yes, it is finished. And the angels say, so has the whole world heard of you? And Jesus says, well, no. And Jesus goes, well, then what's the plan? And Jesus says, well, I left 11 men and some other followers, and they're going to bring the message to the whole world. And that the angels looked at him and said, so what's plan B? Friends, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. God has no plan B. The church is God's plan A. It's His only plan. And in the wisdom of the world, it looks like a really unlikely plan A. A fellowship of fools. And yet, this very unlikely fellowship is who God chose to be part of His team. And through this fellowship of fools, He's going to reach the world with the Gospel. You know, Christian author Max Lucado wrote about Jesus' disciples immediately following His resurrection and His ascension as they're gathered there in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And this is what Max Lucado said. As you look around the room, you wouldn't take them for a bunch who are about to put the kettle of history on high boil. They're uneducated, confused, calloused hands, heavy accents, few social graces, limited knowledge of the world, no money, undefined leadership, and on and on. And Lucado's conclusion, nope, as you look at this motley crew, you wouldn't wager too many paychecks on their future. But God wagered everything on them. He chose them. They weren't the wise. They weren't the strong. They weren't the noble. They weren't the champions, my friends. The world may have no time for losers, but Jesus does, and in fact chooses them to be on His team. Because, friends, those of us who God has chosen, who's called, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background is, we have one thing going for us. Understand, you have one thing going for us, and it's the most important thing. And that's in verse 27 and 28. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. You know, like I always say to my family when we study or when we're studying on Wednesday nights, pay attention to repeated words and phrases in a passage. Three times. Three times in verse 26 we heard, not many of you were. And three times in this passage we hear, God chose. Church, the gospel, the good news is not what you were. It's not what you are. And it's not what you will be. The good news is that God chose you. The good news is God's choice. The gospel is not our action in doing. The gospel is His action in choosing us. And friends, maybe God brought you here this morning or logged you online just so that you could hear this in this live stream. That the world may have no time for you. That you may be unimpressive by measures in this society. But Jesus has come not to offer us religion or good advice on how to make ourselves from losers into champions. Jesus has come with the gospel, which is the good news that He is the champion of the world. And that He has come to call us 
to be His and on His team. Friends, the Gospel is that we are not the champions, but we've been chosen by the champion of the world. That's the Gospel. The champion of the world who conquered at the cross and who overcame death at the grave has chosen you and chosen me. And friends, this is the good news. This is the Gospel. It's not that we can become champions. It's that Christ is the champion of the world. And that's what Paul writes in verse 30. In verse 30 it says, And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now now consider, consider what Paul's writing here. He says Jesus has become our wisdom. He's become our wisdom. We live and look at this world not through our wisdom, We don't look at this world according to its wisdom. Jesus is our wisdom. As we sang, Be thou my vision, O King of my heart. You are my wisdom, and thou my true word. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. You're the champion. You're the ruler of all. Help me to see according to your wisdom, to live according to your true word, to be king of my heart so that I'm not tempted by the wisdom and the ways of this world, looking at things the way the world looks at things, judging things the way that I want to judge them according to my wisdom. Be my wisdom. And Paul says, Jesus has come to be your wisdom. And more than that, Paul goes on and he writes that Jesus has become our righteousness. Friends, again, here's the gospel. Jesus is our righteousness. As we sang this morning, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. You see, Paul writes, Jesus has become our righteousness. He's become our righteousness. And, and you know, we've sung this, this hymn, you know, because again, this is from Christ the Solid Rock and has been updated with this chorus and is called Cornerstone. But it says, My hope is built in nothing less, Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. The sweetest frame? I don't know about you, but we sing that all the time. Have you ever thought about what that means? I dare not trust the sweetest frame? You know, some suggest that it means our earthly frames, our bodies. We don't trust our own strength, which is true and good. But I think an even better understanding comes from, you know, a frame of mind. I don't trust any other mindset. There's no other way of looking at it. There's no other way of understanding it. No matter how sweet and appealing it might sound, the world goes, hey, this is how you should look at it. This is, this is how you should understand it. Here's the frame to understand it. Here's the wisdom of the world. No, I trust no other sweeter frame. There's no better explanation. There's no greater understanding than to understand that it's Jesus' righteousness and not mine. Jesus is wisdom, not my wisdom. And more than righteousness and wisdom, He's my sanctification. He's my redemption. Friends, He says, your righteousness, your sanctification, your redemption, that's the beginning, the middle, of the end, and the end of the Christian life. Jesus has become to us wisdom. He's the sweetest frame. We understand all things through Him. He's become our righteousness on which we stand. He's our sanctification in the middle, and He will be our redemption at the end. At the beginning of our Christian walk, by faith we come to Christ. We are justified 
We are declared righteous. The penalty of our sin is paid. As you and I walk our life together, what happens? He's sanctifying us. He's making us holy, setting us apart. The power of sin is progressively broken. And finally, when He returns with that final trumpet sound, O may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. That's the redemption, the renewal of all things when the presence of sin is finished. Christ has become the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life. Friends, He's our all in all. Sin's penalty paid, its power being broken, its presence one day finished. From first to last, beginning to end, Christ and Christ alone is our all in all. He's become wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And Paul goes, look, Christ is everything. So why are you boasting? Christ is everything. So why are you boasting in yourself? Church in Corinth, why are you boasting in yourself if Christ is all in all? Church in Camden, why are you boasting in yourself if Christ is all in all from beginning to middle to end? He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. Christ has done it all. Christ is all. So there's no room for your boasting and comparing yourself to other people. That's his very point in verse 29. Verse 29 so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, the wisdom of God chose the foolishness of the gospel and chose the foolish weakness of the church so that none of us could pridefully boast that we did it ourselves. So that none of us could boast, we are the champions, my friends. Instead, every tongue one day is going to confess He is the champion. He is the champion. God doesn't want his own people to be impressed with themselves. And he doesn't want the world to be impressed by his people. He wants the world to be impressed by him. He wants the world to be impressed by him. This is time and time again throughout the Scriptures. One of my favorite examples, the elders and I were discussing this this week, and one of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Judges. In the era of the Judges, God had brought His people into the promised land of Canaan and given them the land, but they continued to have battles and they continued to find themselves oppressed by the peoples that remained in the land and the nations that surrounded them. And whenever that happened, they would cry out to the Lord. He would raise up a judge or a leader who would lead and deliver Israel from their oppression. And when Israel one time was being oppressed by the nation of Midian, the Lord raised up for him a deliverer from amongst his people named Gideon. And Gideon rallied to himself an army of Israelites, 32,000 strong. Oh yeah, that sounds good. We're ready for battle. But God had a big problem with Gideon's big army. And that's in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. What? Going into battle, God. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. You see, the Lord never has wanted and never wants His people to think too much of themselves. Make it about them. Put the focus on them. Gideon and his army of 32,000 might have won that battle and all the nations would have gone, Wow, Gideon and his army are powerful. But because of the way God chose to deliver, instead, the nations had to look and go, the God that Gideon serves is powerful. And that's why God has chosen us, the church. He doesn't want the world to be impressed 
by the church. He wants the world to be impressed by Him. He doesn't want us getting impressed with ourselves. He wants us to be impressed with Him. He wants Israel and He wants the nations to boast, not in themselves, but boast in Him. And that was the point of the concluding quote that Paul does in verse 31. Verse 31, he's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. And this is the whole passage, this is the whole context of what Jeremiah says. Listen, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23-24. through Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So don't boast in your wisdom, your might, your riches, or as Paul wrote, your wisdom, your power, nobility. Don't be impressed with yourself. He doesn't want the world impressed by his people. He wants the world impressed by him. Boast in me. And both God's revelation of his foolish gospel and his choice of the foolish fellowship called the church leaves us no room, friends, for pride. No room for pride. And you need to remember That's a theme we're going to come to. The problem in the church in Corinth is the problem in the church in Camden is the problem in the church everywhere. It's pride. Pride divides us. Pride will tear us apart. And Paul's point is, if this is all true, if God has done it all, if Jesus is everything from beginning to end, if our focus should be on God, then why are you Corinthians boasting? Why are you Camdenites boasting? Friends, we have the same problem they had, and it's pride. Pride in their wisdom. Pride in following the right leaders. Pride in not holding the wrong views. Pride in being right and wise. And pride divides. But as we're going to find later in this letter, pride is dividing the church in Corinth according to riches and power, class and nobility. Corinth was, a, was an upwardly mobile city, a growing middle class so much um, nobility, and they were being divided by their class, they were being divided by their money, they were being divided by their social groups, and, and now the church in Corinth has been brought together by the gospel, and all these people of different socioeconomic status are sharing a common table, and people with vastly different backgrounds are sharing a common faith, and people with different philosophies are sharing a common creed, and friends, those differences could cause pride and division and divide them. So Paul says, remember the gospel. Don't be impressed with yourself. Be impressed with him. Because let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's what Paul did. Remember Paul with all of his gifts, with all of his amazing writing and preaching and ability in the second letter of Corinthians. Paul wrote to the church there of his own struggles and weakness. And his final conclusion is a verse that I go to over and over and over again. I love this verse because I so relate. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, the church in Corinth, the church in Camden, the church everywhere would do well to remember the gospel. 
to lay down our pride, to not lift ourselves up, but to boast in the Lord. Or as we sang this morning, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. That comes from, um, that comes multiple places in the Scripture, but Jesus' half-brother James wrote in James chapter 4, verse 6, God gives more grace, therefore God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in verse 10 of that same chapter, He says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Because James' point and Paul's point is that the foolishness of the gospel and the weakness of the church should keep us humble, friends. There's no room for pride. We can't boast that we're the champions, but we can boast that he's the champion and be united around that. So how and when are you tempted to be prideful? How and when are you quick to look down or to judge other people unfairly? Is it those of another background or a nationality? Those of another socioeconomic class? Those of a certain background? Those who struggle with a a certain type of sin? Maybe those who support a different political party or political candidate? Maybe those who believe and practice differently regarding COVID policies or masks or mandates? Pride lifts us up that somehow we've gotten it right and we're better and, and we're more deserving. And friends, that divides us. But Paul reminds us we're just a fellowship of fools. We're not the champions. Christ is the champion. So church, we need to invite Christ to teach us humility. We need to pray together that He might teach us to boast, not as the champions, but to boast together in Christ, who is alone the champion of the world. And to humble ourselves before Him that He might lift us up. Father, humble us. Humble us. Forgive us for our prideful ways. Forgive us for forgetting the truth of your gospel. And Lord, may you be lifted up. May you be lifted up in our eyes. May you be lifted up through us in the eyes of the world. And may the boast not be in us, but may the boast be in you. For you are our all in all from beginning to middle to end. You have done it. You are doing it. And you will do it. And so therefore, the boast is not in us. The glory is not ours. But in you and in you alone. May we be humble before you. May we be united in you. And may the glory be to you now and forevermore. Amen.